2 Timothy 3, verse number 1. This know also that in the last days, somebody say the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce. This right here is pretty powerful. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach or preach to you tonight uh, from a question, but I believe we have the answer. And I want to ask you tonight, if, if you believe this, is, is this the last days? Is this the last days? If this is truly, we believe that this is the last days, then we have to realize that the times we are living in should be no surprise to us. But I believe tonight, if I can get there and get finished, we're going to talk about three or four different Ways that we know we're living in the last days. But I, I feel like with all my heart that while some look on this with disdain and fear. That we as the body of Christ ought to have our heads lifted up and our eyes lifted up. This is the greatest time in the world to be a part of the body of Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus name. Are these really the last days that we're living in? I believe the answer is unequivocally yes. We are in the last days. It's so funny to me. Um, I started watching. I actually had no clue until um, I got on social media yesterday uh, because I, as I said, was traveling in and out from Chicago. And then we had church. And um, when I'm in a meeting like that, very rarely do I do anything uh, like I did yesterday going into, into the city, I just kind of shut in with God and get ready. But when I got back to my room, I started seeing on my social media feed of, of this atrocity that had happened in Texas and these satanic, brutal acts that have taken place. And, and I want you to notice the way that liberal, dark humanity thinks. When stuff like this happens all day long, people start crawling out of the woodwork saying, see, that's why we got to get rid of guns. See, that's why we got to get rid of guns. And that's kind of like, that's kind of like, honestly, it's kind of like going to somebody whose health is failing them because they've eaten too much and haven't taken care of their health and taken every spoon and fork in their drawer and throwing it in the trash. The spoon is not the problem. Discipline of the, the people is a problem. And we can, we can look at activist groups, pro or con or whatever, and say, if they could get their agenda across, it would be fixed. No, folks. Guns are not the problem. Spoons are not the problem. Uh, that, you can't blame a car for a drunk driver getting behind the wheel. It's a drunk person's problem. That doesn't have the scruples if they're going to drink to put their keys away and stay home. It's a sin problem. And, and some can say, well, this is liberal thinking and this is conservative thinking. No, we're at a place right now where you can scratch all of that 
and throw all that away. We've got, we have got godless thinking and God cognizant thinking. That's really where we're at right now. You've got haters of God and you've got lovers of God. That's kind of where we're at. We're at a black and white place. And the apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, you need to know that perilous times are coming. That word perilous means dangerous. We're going to see dangerous times. As I walked among people yesterday by the hundreds of thousands, my mind was stirring, of course. I was stirred in my spirit because we were in such a great move of revival. We were talking about what God was doing. And everywhere that I looked, there were pride flags and there was hatred and different things. And I'm like, this is not, this is absolutely not a problem that just happened overnight. People didn't just wake up one day and say, we're just going to turn these crazy cities into hell holes of, of, of sin and atrocity and brokenness and break this down. This has happened over time. This has been something we've been dealing with for a long time. And Paul said, it's going to happen. It's on the way. It's coming. And some look at that and say, oh, no, what are we going to do? Oh, God, what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to jump ahead in my sermon right here just a little bit. We're going to experience the greatest harvest that we've ever seen because this world is getting primed up right now. Listen, I'm telling you, people are sick of fake People are tired of all this fake junk. They're tired of people saying that this group is going to fix it and that group's going to fix it. I don't care whether they're a Democrat or Republican. They're not going to fix it. What's going to fix this nation is when we get hungry for revival and we dig ourselves in and say we're not leaving and we're not shutting down and we're not quitting until we have revival and harvest. And I'm not going to quit till the trumpet sounds. These are the last days. These, these are not the times to quit. But we're starting to feel that relief. People are, are traveling and that fear is gone. I told Bishop tonight in my office, I, I said, I, I know it's crazy, which I know Chicago, as, as far as the language that we speak, Chicago is probably one of the most liberal cities in America. And they were, it was, it was atrocious during all the pandemic stuff. But on public transit, I never went to one place where people were masked up. and you know, I mean, there were a few here and there, but I'm saying that fear has kind of started to subside the hearts of people. And in a billion and one ways, that's a good thing for us because we like, let's move on with life here. Let's, but the problem is that when that pressure starts lifting, that people don't feel that push that there's a change in the atmosphere. And there has absolutely been a dynamic shift in the spirit realm, in the atmosphere that we're living in. I, we do not live in the same world that we lived in three years ago. This world changed drastically in my lifetime on September the 11th, 2001. And I haven't seen change. I thought that was just a big change because it affected the way that we traveled. I grew up going, walking with my, my granddad and, and whatever. We'd walk all the way down to the gate and drop people off for their, their flight. You could walk. There was no such thing as security, really. That You just kind of walk through and nod and go all the way down to the gate and get on your, your plane. And that was pre-9-11. But we just thought this world was crazy. After 9-11, when they actually started checking your luggage and making sure you weren't packing bombs on. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a whole different world until... Two years ago, I saw the biggest change that I've ever seen in my life. And right now, this week, at, the, at, at, at uh, Davos, whatever, at the World Economic Forum, these heads are coming together in the world, and they're discussing right now what needs to happen for everybody in the world to get on the same page. And these are the same people that were working behind the scenes for the plan. I mean, the pandemic. While all this was going on, trying to get all this put together and get people to bow down and get people to quit. But understand, this was the first big, I believe, this was the first big push against the 21st century church in our lifetime. This was the first big attempt 
to try to get the American church to close down, cower down, and they pushed us to see how far we would go before we started pushing back. And right now, they're pushing for that idea. They said by 2030, you won't own anything. And you'll be happy about it. That's what, that's, that's what they're saying. You'll own nothing. This is going to be taken care of. Everything's going to be fixed. You're going to be happy about it. We're going to take care of all of your medical stuff. We're going to take care of all. You don't, you're not going to own your house. Nothing's going to belong to you. The, the world governments are going to take care of everything. And they said, and you're going to be happy about it. That's how we're going to do it. What they used to talk about secretly, they're now talking about openly. I'm not here to be a fear monger tonight. To be honest with you, I could care less what they do. It doesn't change one thing about our mission and our mandate. Not one. I really don't care who's in the Oval Office. I'm going to vote and do my, my, my civic duty. But it doesn't change one thing about our Bible mandate. And Paul said, you need to know that in the last days, there's going to be perilous times. But I feel like we need to be reminded tonight that the last days... Uh, in Revelation, in your eschatological studies, are not about how brightly the Antichrist shines. It's about how brightly the church is going to shine in the darkest of hours. Pastor, it's getting so dark. What are we going to do? We're going to turn up the Holy Ghost. We're going to turn up prayer. We're going to turn up fasting. We're going to turn up church. We're going to turn up revival. And we're going to shine brighter than we've ever shined. Let them do what they're going to do. The gods of this world have always tried to set the agenda. But my God gets the final say about everything that's going to happen. I, I, I don't want to get sidetracked here tonight, and this is why I thought I may not get finished, but they, they, they've tried everything. You know, they thought, of, and, and don't you think this didn't cross their minds, if we can get all the missionaries that are in other countries to get out of the country, then we'll shut down the work that they're doing. Well, I'm sorry it didn't work that way. Do you understand what God has revealed to us that has transpired during all this? We all looked at Kabul in Afghanistan and the fall of all that and oh how terrible, how terrible, how terrible this is awful but you know it opened up an opportunity for a man that, that we're connected to and I'll just leave it at, at that in Pentecost uh, it, it opened a door if, if Afghanistan hadn't fallen the way that it did we could have never, this man could have never got in to do this but he went into Afghanistan and uh, he started visiting some people and I'm going to tell you what we found out we had no clue but we found out when he got into Afghanistan that there is a group of people there right now. He met with them, talked with these people that in Afghanistan. Now, we thought this was one of the last seven countries in the world that we don't have an apostolic missionary in. But in that nation, there is a group of people already right now that have been gathering, baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm saying to you, God has a church in a war-torn nation that we were like, there's no way we could ever get there. And we look at the news and say, God, this makes it harder. What it does is revealed that God has never stopped working, and he's not going to start working because people get afraid. missionaries in the Philippines had to leave got stuck over here forever and uh, one of the precious pastors that we helped we just recently helped with their chairs dad and I were talking about it one day it was like they're baptizing people every week I mean the church is growing the church is absolutely growing our missionaries couldn't get there and the church is growing why, why is that? Well, let me tell you a little story about a man named Joseph and the summation of his life. This is what he said when it was all said and done. He said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Are we living in the last days? Absolutely we are. And for some, that may feel treacherous. But for me, I want you to know God is still in control and we are still having revival. So, two different times, the Lord compared the days of his coming in your Bible to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. 
Now, I, I, I don't want to get too far off here, but when some ask me about my ideas of pre, mid, or post, I lean heavily on this for the simple idea that the Lord said, as it was in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, it will be when I come back. And my thoughts are this, as you know, uh, I try not to take a, just a super hard doctrinal stand because I feel like it's one of those things, whether the Lord comes pre, mid, or post, we need to be ready regardless. But there's something very powerful about what the Lord said. He said, as it was in the days of Noah. Well, how was it with Noah? Well, with Noah, the Lord gave him a warning. They obeyed and did the work. And then his family got on the ark before the first drop of rain fell. As it was in the days of Lot, God allowed his mercy to reach down to Lot and his wife and to their children. And God let them get out of Sodom before the fire fell. Does that mean that 100% that the Lord is going to come back before we have to go through tribulation? I can't answer that unequivocally 100%. But I feel like we've got some strong things to lean on here. And I want to tell you. Where I struggle. And again, if we have to go through it, then we better stand. But the issue that I run into when I start hearing these people that lean so heavily on a, on, on a post idea. And again, I'm not, I'm not tearing them down, or, nor would I even be willing to debate. I feel like we got some strong, but I'm not going to fight people over this. We, we've got to focus on the sickle and not the sword, if that makes sense. But when we look at eschatology from a 100% emphatic, there's no way we're changing our mind, post-rapture, uh, post-tribulation rapture, that means that there are so many things that we have to look for before the Lord comes. In other words, there's going to be some things that are going to happen beyond a shadow of a doubt in Israel. We're going to see that. We're going to see the temple rebuilt. We're going to see... Uh, more than likely, whatever your, your idea of that is, we're going to see the, the peace treaty sign. We're going to see all this happen. But this is what I want you to understand. If I never with my own eyes in this world see a temple built on the temple mount again, I've still got to be ready for the coming of the Lord. I, I understand that the man of sin is going to rise. And as John saw, it's very interesting that from Pergamos, the seed of Satan, the dragon comes out and hands power to the beast. And, you know, this whole Antichrist system rises. But while we're all focused on that, John said, John said about 60 years after Jesus had died, John, the beloved, said that the spirit of Antichrist is in the earth. And it's work, he said it's working right now. Now, that's not the man, the Antichrist. That's not the man of sin. But the spirit has been working for over 2,000 years since Christ was revealed and the name was given under heaven among men. As long as Christ has been known in the earth, there has been an anti-Christ spirit. And as long, listen now, as long as there's been created beings, there's been an anti-God spirit. Before you and I were ever created, Satan fell as lightning from heaven because wherever there is the power of God there is always a power that's working against it yet not one place ever in history will you ever find it recorded that Lucifer finally gets the advantage over God Almighty it's not there he is not the antithesis of God Almighty because if he was the antithesis that meant that he would have some kind of an equality to the power of God he is not the opposite of God because he cannot be equal to God he is absolutely from the start until the finish he is going to bow his knee to who God is that's the bottom line the Bible said in James that the devil himself knows that there is one God and the devils in hell tremble because there is one God but understand this tonight I do not have to fear what man could do to me and I do not have to fear the darkness that's around me because when I am afraid the Lord is my light and my salvation of whom shall I fear 
What I'm about to say to you holds a lot of weight with me and you may not feel it the way that I feel it when I say it, but I believe I'm looking at the faces of men and women tonight. I'm looking in the faces of the generation upon whom the ends of the earth have come. I, I really believe that. I, we've lost several people over the last little while that I wish the Lord would have came back before we lost them. Uh, death is hard. I told my wife the other day, I said, be honest with you, and this is just a transparent moment, I'm sorry. I said, babe, to be honest, I'm tired of being creative on new ways to say this, this hurts and we're tired of losing people. You, you kind of get funeraled out after a while, you know. But I believe if the Lord withholds his coming very much longer at all and, and, and everybody in this room keeps on living, I, sincere, I sincerely believe with all my heart that there are men and women in this room right now that will be alive and well and walking the face of the earth when the trumpet sounds. I believe we're that close. I believe we are that close to the coming of the Lord as it was in the days of Noah. Now let's go to Luke 17. I'm going to walk in the Word here for a little bit. I don't want to be too long tonight because God knows we got to get out of here and get a sandwich. Somebody say amen. Luke chapter 17 and verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, notice this. As it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they builded. These are all very important. The signs of the day were eating, drinking, marrying, giving it all, uh, the Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, the Temple Mount, Israel, and it's all very important. And I'm sure over the next few months we'll talk about it again because I like to visit it from time to time. But I, I want to tell you tonight that there are some ways that we know if we never ever see a temple built again on the Temple Mount, and I, I don't mean that it's not going to happen. I mean if I don't live to see that day or if the Lord were to return before that day, I want to give you some sure signs according to the Scripture that we are living in the last days and that we better get ready. If you believe it, say amen. amen. The first way that we know we are living in the end time is when men refuse to repent for their sin and iniquity. When sin has become so abrasive and in your face, and we're not going to repent because you call it sin, but to us it's righteousness. Listen, folks, I'm telling you right now that some of these crossway, goofy, Thoughts and ideas that these people are presenting. And I'm saying that as nice as I can. I really am. My brain's working right now. I'm trying to figure out how can I say this nice. These people are insane. But they justify it with their own self-righteousness. And they say that if you're against it, then you're the one that's judgmental. It blows my mind. I asked somebody the other day, I said, how in the world, can I, be, can I be human for a second? Is that okay? I said, how in the world are people so stupid to still keep buying into this? You tell me, you tell me how we could ever buy into the idea that a child that's in the womb of a woman is a blob of trash that the woman has the right to decide what happens to that amoeba in her belly. This is just a blob. It's just, you know what? When those women get truthful later in their lives, they start telling stories that are way different than they did when they carried their little picket sign around. Those ladies will lay on their pillow of tears years and years and years later 
and will weep over. And they'll say this, not me. They will say, I took a life that I should have let live. They, you can try to redefine this however you want to. But people literally believe. They believe, at least they, they claim they do. This is what they stand on. That what they are doing is more righteous than what the righteous are doing. And if you stand against them, then you don't understand what true love is. Oh, Lord. Revelation 16, verse number 1. I'm going I'm to read about 11 verses here, so run through this with me. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, don't, don't, don't get stuck right here. On some of the deep stuff, okay? Go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. The first went and poured his vial out on the earth, and there fell noise and grieved some sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and was and shall be, because thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. I love that right there. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and the kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Read this last line with me again. They cursed God for the judgment but refused to repent for what brought the judgment. Watch, watch the shift. God becomes cruel and evil for judging what he said he was going to judge. But humanity is so justified in their decision making. John, I don't want you to get hung up on which angel and which vial and where it's all going. I want you to see the spirit and the underlying current. When God does what he said he's going to do, then these people say God is unrighteous and I'm not going to repent. Listen, I want to tell the United States of America and I want to tell this world tonight that God is not some cruel judge that's damning the world. God's mercy is the the only thing that has kept us from being consumed it is because of his mercies that we are not consumed so you can spew venom and you can spew hatred and you can burn down buildings and you can kill children and you can have unnatural affection but at the end of the day it's his mercy that's kept us from being consumed Now, I'm going to break a couple things down. I'm trying to watch my time very closely here tonight. I, I certainly don't want to lose you this evening. As New Testament believers, we often put sin and iniquity in the same category. And I've taught this through the years, but I want to teach maybe some of you that have not, not heard this. The New, in the New Testament, the word for sin uh, is literally translated like... Uh, that you've missed the mark. When you sin, that you've missed the mark. Anybody in here ever missed the mark? Whew. Thank God. I really thought I was the only one in here for a minute. All these great and spiritual people. Thank you, Jesus. Figuratively speaking, sin is like, is like shooting an arrow that gets off course before it reaches its target. That maybe you had... You had good intentions, but at some point you went a little further than you planned on going. Anybody here could testify to what I'm saying tonight. You didn't have like this vindictive heart. You just made a mistake. The arrow got off course a little bit. 
It's getting out of alignment with the will of God. Missing the mark of being what God wants you to do. Missing the mark of obeying the word of God. Iniquity, however, is unique. It's, it's not synonymous with sin. Now, obviously, uh, iniquity in and of itself, it takes sin to create this idea. But I'm saying you can't necessarily interchangeably use the words sin and iniquity and it mean the exact same thing. A, he, a, a study of the Hebrew of the word iniquity will reveal to us that iniquity, and follow me very closely right here because this is so pertinent to where we are in this lesson tonight. Iniquity is when sin becomes perversion. It's not when you just miss the mark. It's when sin itself becomes perversion. And, and I know some people would say, well, pastor, I mean, really... All sin is perversion, but that's not necessarily true. Because you take someone that has a good heart, but before they came to the Lord, they had a little bit of a loose tongue, and they get a little heated, maybe say something they hadn't said in a long time. Was that sin? Sure. Are they perverted? No. They're human. Somebody gets a little angry while they're driving. You know, you can be angry and sin not. That's what the word says. But, I mean, when you're sticking the one God symbol out your car window, it's a little too far. This is, people are not impressed with your Jesus fish when you're flipping them off. You can put your little I'm a Christian thing on there on your tailgate, and then you pull up a honk. What's wrong with you, man? Would you get your license out of Cracker Jack box? I mean, like, you're going to get there 74 seconds later than you would have. Come on, somebody. You guys liked that other part, didn't you, when I was talking about all the stuff the world does? I don't think people are perverted when they're human and they make a mistake. On the scale of things, it's sin. Sure, it, well, pastor, then sin is sin. You're saying, if, if, if I say something I shouldn't have said, that I'm the same as a murderer? No, I'm not saying that you're the same as a murderer. But I'm saying sin, sin. I mean, I, I, can, I can be lost over the way I treat my wife. And somebody else can, can be lost because they murdered somebody. So you, you can't measure those two and say, well, yeah, I mean, sin, there's a, measure, there's a measure to sin. Of course there's a measure to the act of something, but I can be just as lost over this much sin as I can be this much sin. Am I making any sense to anybody? You've got to guard your heart. Because there comes a crossover moment where sin leaves being missing the mark. And it becomes iniquity and sin becomes perversion. Now, Leviticus 18 and 22, I'm going to give you a couple quick examples just very, very quickly. I'm going to try to get through this uh, tonight. And I'm, I'm going to use things that are easy. It's not because I don't have anything else to talk about. But after all, it is Bible. So let's look at Leviticus 18 and 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. When men lie with men, and this is not just Old Testament. I know that's Old Testament law. Well, it's, no, it's not. It's also in Timothy. When men lie with men and women lie with women, it's considered to be perversion. It's, it's not a choice. Of loving who you want to love so you can be happy. Man, that went over like a lead balloon. That's not my opinion, it's Bible. When a man lies with a child, it's perversion. Leviticus 18 and 10. The nakedness of thy son's daughter or of thy daughter's daughter 
even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover, for theirs is thine own nakedness. It is perversion. I, listen, hey, I want, I want to make this clear tonight. I do not care what Looney Tunes start trying to tell us is normal. It will never be normal for a grown man to fall in love and commit sexual acts with an underage child. It is absolutely perversion. There is coming a day that the world is trying to get men to run free for what they would have been in prison for at another time. But they got to get all the justice systems out of imbalance to do it. It is a spirit of perversion. And we better protect our children and let them know that what the world is defining as normal is absolutely not normal. Well, I, I, I just have, I have taste. Uh, my, my, my love taste is younger children. You're a pervert. You're a pedophile. And there's some really good men in this world that I wish they would accidentally meet you in a back alley. You're going to do damage to children for the rest of their lives. Because you're perverted. And it's gross darkness. Well, somebody ought to say it. Because we can get on the TV camera and smile at the world if we want to. But if you coddle sin long enough. Romans 1 said if you're a partaker of their evil deeds. Verse 11. The nakedness of thy father's wife's daughter begotten of thy father. She is thy sister and thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. When a man lies with his own sister, it's perversion. People are gross, man. And they call it love. We're all born with a sin nature. Follow me closely. I, I want you to get the point. We're all born with a sin nature. It is not learned behavior. Romans 3.23, you can read it. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. If you believe it, say Amen. However, when sin continues in a person's life and it is unrepented of and they think nothing of it and it causes their heart to become hardened and when their heart becomes hardened, it moves to a different level and it becomes perversion, that is iniquity. Iniquity. Iniquity is when sin becomes perversion. Now, in 2 Timothy 3 and 3, the Bible speaks of something called natural affection in verse 3. Paul said that men would be without natural affection. Now, I don't know. I've been really blessed to have three precious daughters. I don't know anything about raising stinky boys. Nothing. But I was a young man. And an example of natural affection. I'll just tell you my story so I don't embarrass my girls. But about the age of 13, approximately, in a young boy's body, they began the process of going through puberty. Their voice starts changing. They start getting hair under their armpits. They get a good enough mustache that you could put milk on their lip and the cat could lick it off and shave it for them. And they get excited and try to talk to you. That's... I had to sing and preach through that. And then he becomes 14, 15, 16. And, and I'm not here to give you a science lesson, but you can read it. You can find it. It's out there. A thing called testosterone starts to flow through their body. It's a chemical that their body produces. My mom used to make me read all this stuff all the time. Dobson, focus on the family. I'm like, Mom, well, you're preparing for adolescence, and you are not going to be like that. You're going to live for the Lord. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> if you had a teenage son or a grandson or what, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The testosterone gets to flowing a little bit. 
Things start changing. And it's a perfectly natural thing. Somebody say natural. It's a natural thing for that little old boy to go to the playground. Now, I'm probably going to be criticized by this. Be at the playground and some little old girl's out there playing and he thinks she's cute. So he watches her go up the stairs and go down the slide and he keeps his eye on her. He walks away from the park thinking, you know what, she's a lot cuter than all my old sweaty friends that I played baseball with. That's, I mean, it's natural. That is absolutely a natural thing. It is a natural thing. For a guy to look at his girlfriend who wants long nails, long hair, walks a little more prissy, it's okay for him to not want to do that stuff. You can't even grip a tackle box with lotion on your hands. Be careful. I, I, I saw this video this week. I can't unsee it. Some conservative talk show host, whatever, put it on their Instagram of this little boy. I don't know. I, I think he's seven. I, I think. Don't quote me on it. This little boy is standing there in a dress. And his mom has put makeup and stuff on him. She's like, you like that, don't you? You, you like that, don't you? You like that. Like, what's he going to say to her? I'm like, when I was little, Josh, we were getting baseball gloves for Christmas. Now they're buying little boys lipstick and saying, pick which one you want. Does this disturb anybody? I hope it does. I hope it disturbs us so bad that you can't hardly pry us out of a prayer room. And I hope it disturbs us so bad that we realize this hadn't all just been foolish screaming through the years when we tell you the world wants your children. I hope it disturbs us so bad that we have our kids in the house of God every time the doors are open. I hope it disturbs us so bad that when the pastor gets up and preaches and says your kids need to live right, that when they go home, they hear it again at the house. Watch this process the other day of these two individuals that were of the same plumbing that had a child that they had adopted. And they were talking about how they wanted their child to have a normal life. I'm like, you done jacked that up. If he had a normal life, it would have took you and another type of body to create that baby. You don't get a chance at normal when you redefine what normal is in the world. Hey, I don't care what the world says is normal. I'm going to live by what the Word says is normal. It is unnatural affection when you take away the original design of the Creator's intention. And from the beginning in Genesis 2, the Scripture tells us in 2 and 21 that God created a man and a woman and they became husband and wife. That's God, not me. It was God's divine order. And when that covenant is broken, the covenant that God established between a man and a woman is broken. So we have natural affection and we have perversion. And I'm not just saying this over to try to beat this into somebody's head. But listen, we got to call it what it is. Incest, pedophilia, lying with a beast, bestiality, it's perversion. You don't wake up one day and decide you're a unicorn so you get to fall in love with a horse. No. I wish that was like, I wish that was false. I watched this, I got to be nice, man. I watched this big old ugly joker the other day. 
big old broad-shouldered hairy man that went to some kind of a, uh, I guess, costume shop or something and got him a, a little headband that had cat ears on it and got him some drawers that had a, a cat tail on it. And when he walked by, people, you know, they're interviewing because he walked by and said, meow. They're like, sir, is it true that you identify as a cat? And he's, meow. I'm like, bro, I'm going to tell you something. We need to have a quick game of pickup, full-on tackle football for lunch. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you the problem with this, folks. Listen, please, please, please understand my motive right now. The problem is that sounds so kooky and crazy. But these people that they're interviewing, you know what? You know what some of these people are doing for a living when they're not on camera? They are school teachers. They are college professors. They are counselors. They are lawyers. They are ever learning. And never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They've got doctorate degrees hanging on the wall and identify as kitty cats. There was a time in America where all nine lives would have been tested pretty quick. But now if you say anything, if you say anything, you are the evil one. Are we living in the end times? Yes, we are. We're absolutely living in the end times. Second Peter 2 and 5, and I'm hurrying. I, I, I'm hurrying. You guys okay? Everybody all right? Spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bring the flood upon the world of the ungodly. 1 Peter chapter 3 and 20, and Wes, I don't expect you to keep up fully, buddy. You're doing such a good job. Which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God. Man, I wish people would see that. The long-suffering of God waited. Are you all reading that same version I'm reading? The long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing while the ark was being built wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water the ark was being prepared and God was being long suffering but Noah was just an old kook just an old evil man just a mean old preacher telling folks, God's about to rain on your parade. Psh, whatever. Folks, I'm not saying this to be ugly tonight. And I hope none of this has come across like I'm trying to be rude or mean or vindictive or hurtful. I don't want that at all. But I want you to understand something right now. They started believing. If they didn't believe before, they started believing when the rain fell. And somebody's going to have to keep preaching until the Lord comes. Pastor, what are you going to do when they tell you it's illegal to preach against it? We'll go off the internet and we'll keep preaching. The gates of hell, come on, y'all preach it to me, shall not prevail against the church. I could walk you through the timeline. Noah was 500 years old when all three boys were born. We believe they were probably triplets. Uh, Ham, Shem, Japheth. We believe they were probably triplets. Uh, he was 600 years old when the flood was on the earth. So that means Noah had approximately 100 years from the time his boys were born till the, 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 the flood came. That means he had about 100 years to prepare the ark. During that 100-year time period, Noah preached righteousness According to 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 5, he preached righteousness to the people. Now imagine this. God gave people a window for a hundred years to repent. And they didn't repent until the rain came. 
We've been preaching this gospel message for 2,000 years. And people still say, listen, been preaching the rapture for 2,000 years. Been preaching the coming of the Lord for 2,000 years. And people are still saying, it ain't true. It's fake. It's not going to happen. But somebody somewhere will be standing there cognizant when the trumpet sounds and they look up. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Men in Noah's day refused to repent. And when they refused to repent, the wrath of God was poured out upon them. In the days of Lot, they were warned of the coming judgment. But the Bible said that they mocked when they heard. As a matter of fact, if we had time to go into it, it got so bad that when the Lord sent angels in, they were so perverted that men came, started trying to tear the doors off of the house to get in and have sexual relations with the angels. Because perversion would love to disrupt the supernatural. If they could take the angels of heaven and cause them to produce an iniquity perverted spirit then that means that they joined in. But God said, if you want your family to be saved, you better get your family out of Sodom. Hey, can I preach to you tonight? We may be in this world, but we are not of this world. And if you want your family to be saved, keep them out of Sodom. Two, there's a difference in this story that I wish I had time to preach to you. I've, I've already been here too long. The Bible said that Noah's whole family was saved, but Lot had to leave some of his behind. Isn't that something? Noah got all his family on the ark. Now think about this with me. Jossie, come here, baby doll. I'm going to be an angel, even though you are one. I'm going to act like one. Let me see your hand. The angel is up here above this woman. This is Lot's wife. And he's leading her out. Literally, folks, if, if you don't believe the Bible, that's okay. That's on you. I believe literally that the angel had hold of them and leading them out of Sodom. I believe that. But the Bible said that although heaven had a hold of their hand... Apparently, Sodom had a hold of her heart. It is not enough to just tell your kids to love God. You've got to learn to love the Lord and to despise iniquity. It's not enough to love righteousness because heaven can get a hold of their hand. But if Sodom's got a hold of their heart, they'll always be looking back from where you came from. I'll never understand people wanting to throw their kids to the world of what God brought them out of. And then expect some kind of a different result. Pastor, why, why, do you, why do you guys act so strongly and want to keep our kids away from prom? Because they've been doing the same thing at proms since they started proms. <laughs> this is not new. And we bring our kids on Sunday morning and put heaven in their hand. Give them six days of worldliness. And we expect two hours, two and a half hours, a week to get what's trying to hold their hand into their hearts. And then we wonder why when they get to the age of accountability. The youth pastor saying, come on kids, you can do it. But mom and dad are saying, you don't have to if they're not looking. I sincerely believe that this is where we are as a nation. 
In Revelation chapter 9, just a couple more scriptures and I'm, I'm done. I'm over time. Revelation 9 and 20. And then I'm going to go to chapter 16. The rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands. That they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone of wood which neither can see nor hear nor talk. Revelation 16 and 9. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power of these plagues. They repented not to give him glory. Verse 11, if I may read it one more time. And blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. Repented not of their deeds. John said, you're going to know the end times when God becomes the villain and men become justified. Self-inflicted wounds, but God gets cursed for it. believe it's where we are if I had the time tonight and I don't but I would touch on the cup of iniquity being full Genesis 15 16 it said but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full I I wish I had I may pick up on this later but I believe I believe that the cup of iniquity is getting ready to overflow. I really do. I'm not just saying this. Please don't think this is fear-mongering. I really believe that what we're facing today is not new, okay? The perversion's been around for a long time. But we are certainly seeing the place where it is called righteous. And that's when the cup of iniquity is going to spill over and when it does there's nowhere else for us to go but out Joel said that in the last days God would pour out his spirit on all flesh we saw this begin to be fulfilled in Acts the second chapter what is this this is that which was spoken so let the world look at it let them call what they're going to you can't stand around, scream, beat the floor, get ticked off. The world's going to continue down that path. But when God said it's enough, it's enough. And when that happens, folks, I would hope that the Lord would find us reaching and loving and helping and telling people, you don't have to live like that. It doesn't have to be like that. You can be free. Does anybody believe that tonight? I'm not about to start hating these people that are misled. Let them spew whatever. I'm going to love those people. I will not be their excuse. I'm going to love those people. You can love the sinner and hate the sin. Are we living in the last days? Sure we are. Is it perilous? Sure it is. But we're that much closer to the coming of the Lord. And I want to be ready when he comes. Let's stand together. Man, I sure hope y'all don't have calluses on your tailbone from sitting there so long tonight. I'm overwhelmed when I think of how the heart of God must be grieved. And not because the world's crazy. But because the, the church world is embracing the craziness. We've got to be the church. And if God will help us, we're going to do that. Amen. I want you to just slip your hands up in the air right now. And I want you to pray with me tonight that God would prepare us to love like we've never loved and reach like we've never reached. That we're not going to let the enemy get the glory for what's going on right now. But we're going to harvest out of the midst of what the enemy wants us to believe is chaos. There is a harvest that God is desiring to bring to us. I'm telling you in Jesus' name, there are testimonies that God is preparing and people that are going to say, that's what I thought, that's what I believe, that's the life that I live, but God brought me out of that. God raised me out of that. God, prepare us to be your end-time church. Prepare us to be your end-time church. Prepare us, God, to preach and teach and love and give and serve. Oh, God, teach us.
teach us tonight. I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Would you help me give God praise tonight?